Hey there, I'm Andrew Ainsworth, a proud supporter of Sword and Laser, thanks to Patreon.com. It's easy to set up, and what do you get out of it? Endless geeky bantering about the latest sci-fi and fantasy books. So if you want to help out, head over to Patreon.com slash Sword and Laser. Give a little, and get a lot of Veronica mispronouncing things. Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. I'm sorry, I'm laughing because... Okay. Sword and Laser. <laughs> first of all... Should I start over? Should I, I'm not going to no, start no, over. No, no, no keep no. going. Power okay. through. Uh, Sword and Laser Book Club. Yeah, Book Club. Sword and Laser Book Club. No <laughs> verbs. No time for verbs. But it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and awesome discussions from fans just like you. Okay, so this is the crazy part is neither one of us are drinking. No. And yet you're just like cracking up from the get-go. I'm cracking up because before the show, and maybe I'll put this at the end of the show, um, Tom pointed out the the very funny thing that my video is a little lagged. We use like a reference video, and he's like... Oh, weird. I just saw your eyes move. Or was it your eyes? No, I was just saying when when you're looking at laggy video, you can see your own eyes move. And that's weird because normally you can't. So if you're like looking in the mirror or if you're looking at a live video feed, you don't see your own eyes move because they move in time with the video. Right, because your eyes move away. It's impossible. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so I was right before we, we started recording, I was watching myself doing that. And I don't know why, but the second I started saying the intro it just caught up with me and i i thought it was hilarious <laughs> so i'm sorry it, it it had to be there maybe i guess so it had to so be there. wait you're not drinking all of january no it's dry january january dry yes um so dry january if you don't know is kind of this thing that's picked up in recent years hmm. apparently it's much bigger in the uk um but a lot of people in the bay area have been doing it recently and my entire company is doing it Mm, we're so it's people. I drank but so much on New Year's <laughs> Eve that I'm just not going to drink all of January. I think it's like a reset. Yeah. Like it goes you know, along people, with New Year's resolutions, exercising, all that. Yeah. I mean, people can. I was very gluttonous over over the holiday <laughs> break. You I, I, I ate a lot of stuff, um, a lot of cookies and candy. And, and I was like, you know, I, I really got to try to cut back on the sugar a little bit. Mm-hmm, um hmm. And there's so much sugar in alcohol, and it's really just empty calories. And no judgment. I, I love my alcohol. Trust me. Um, but I just thought it'd be also nice exercise and willpower. Yeah. It's actually not a very dry January because alcohol can dry you out, you know, dehydrate Very dehydrating. Yeah. Very dehydrating. So uh, it's actually a very hydrated January, in a sense. Mm. I'm drinking a lot more uh, um, La Croix. La Croix. What is with water. that? Why did that get so popular suddenly? Eileen's drinking that too. I think people started drinking it kind of ironically because I think you can you buy it in bulk. It's very inexpensive and it has no calories, it has right. no sugar in it. And so I think people just kind of were like, oh my God, this is like inexpensive uh-huh. and it's not hurting me yeah. and it tastes like something. <laughs> right. I'm going to drink it and it has interesting almost like throwback 90s, 80s style right. packaging. And the U.S. people, they do love their fizzy waters. They do. They do. And it has like kind of a, 
uh, like a f- you can say it kind of fancy or you can say it very like you American just did style. LaCroix. LaCroix. La or you can LaCroix. Yeah, that's the so. U.S. That's the uh, U.S. pronunciation. La- so what's your excuse for not drinking? Are you dry January as well? Or? No, no. I was very not dry yesterday. I was at CES in Las Vegas. Uh, had, oh, my God. You're back already. Yeah. I got back this morning. Wow. So um, I'm I'm uh, purely out of disorganization. Do I not have a drink right now? <laughs> um, my one of I my very best family friends, uh, a woman who basically was like was my mom's best friend for still is one of her best friends. This woman Lois um, Lois Whitman has been. Uh, she just got her 50 year CES badge. Oh, wow. 50. I She's got, the only one. I got a five-year badge, and I was like, I'm pretty sure I should get a 10, but whatever. How I don't know how you're counting this. You probably missed a few tech TV years. But yeah, th- th- there were a few people I know got 10-year badges, but I didn't see anybody. I mean, obviously not, because I didn't yeah, see Lois, her. She's the only one. Lois is the one. Yeah, she's she's the longest running. There might be one other guy that's come as many years well, as that's, she has. It's only been around 50 years. Like, that's, yeah, she's been to words, every she hasn't single one. Missed one. That's crazy. Nope. Nope. She's kind of intense. She's amazing. Yeah. But this is a show about sci-fi fantasy, not about technology Too much reality. or about alcohol. Uh, so we apologize if you're a first-time listener. We do get to genre fiction eventually. So let's start that with the quick burns. Not a lot happening as all the publishers kind of slow down for the holiday season and just hope the books that are already on the shelves sell. Uh, but we have a few things in here, and there is a new thread for quick burns. If you don't realize how we get these quick burns, it's from you guys in the audience. And thanks to Rob, our moderator, for starting the 2017 quick burns thread. Alex posted that with a new quadrilogy titled The Fall of Shannara, Terry Brooks is bringing the series <gasps> to a close. Wow. Yeah. Uh, they asked him, Entertainment Weekly asked him why he decided now to finally end this long-running series. And he said... My original plan was to live forever, but I'm discovering that's probably not going to happen. And I don't want to be one of those authors whose series, after going on such a long time, get written by somebody else at the end. So I decided... Not not naming any names. No, no. And it's more than one. So I decided it was time to at least write the ending because I've had it in mind for many, many years. And The Black Elfstone is the first in the four that will be the final series coming out June 13th. Wow. I, I don't I don't know off the top of my head how many books in total have been part of the Shannara series, Dozens, but it is yeah. expansive. Um that's that's you know, I mean, I totally respect that. I man, that he's put out a lot of content and it is nice. Like a, a lot of people in, even in our own club say that they don't want to start a series if it hasn't been finished yet. Yeah. Because it's very it's kind of stressful not knowing if there's ever going to be an ending or or what the quality level of that ending is going to be if it does go into different hands. And I was thinking about it. If he gets this out and then decides, well, I still have some Shannara in me. He can revisit One-offs, the world yeah. in other stages in time before the end, right? He can, yeah. He can go fill in the backstories. Not that there are too many left, I'm, I could imagine, but you know, yeah, he can do one-offs or or prequels and things like that. You know, it's funny. I, I as we mentioned in previous episodes, after after we finished the Rook as uh, last month's book pick, um, I started picking up the the second in the series, Stiletto, and I noticed myself every little like branch off or side character 
I'm like, oh, that would make a really good like short story or like a really good like little branch off of the series. Um, and it's funny. I mean, that is so much more common these days for for authors to take a little detour. Patrick Rothfuss has done yeah, it. Yeah. Um, numerous authors we've spoken to in the past have done it. And I think it's kind of like a, a fun, creative way to kind of get out of the, I don't want to say rut, but when you're writing in a series, you have kind of a a path that you're going to be taking and you don't readers are going to be upset if you don't continue along at a reasonable rate along that path. But if you do a one off side story, it kind of fills that void in between books and also lets you take a little bit of creative license with the with the existing storyline. I wonder if the emphasis on world building that has happened to a lot of fantasy authors and sci-fi authors too that came out of people playing role-playing games we've talked to patrick rothfuss particularly and, and others about how yeah i i ran games and developed characters and then created the world and then eventually took that and turned it into the world that my novels were set in mm-hmm. i wonder if that makes it easier for you to go oh well i can easily do this side story because i have this big world that I know enough about that I can go off the beaten track and not feel like I'm going to get myself in trouble later on. Yeah, I think it's I think it's nice and it, it does give them a little extra freedom and ability to work with different characters that that might not necessarily get their opportunity to shine in, in the main storyline. Douglas Adams did it the opposite way. He always said he had no idea what was going to happen. And when coincidences would tie up plot threads later on, he was as surprised <laughs> as anyone as he was writing it, apparently. <laughs> I love when people say that because I never believe them. Oh, I never I, believe I, them. I, I, I believe literally yeah. never believe them. I'm like, yeah, okay. You keep saying that, you smart little... <laughs> so jealous of good writers. Uh, Nokomis.fl uh, says the man in the high castle gets a third season and a new showrunner. But, you know, I gotta say, Tom... Mm-hmm. Do you? I know you love PKD. Sure. But, and I watched the, I started watching the series and I couldn't get into it. And I was kind of like, I don't think this show's going to last. It is lasting. And apparently people are watching it. Well, and, and apparently it. people are enjoying the second <laughs> season even more so than the first. That's great. Uh, Eric yeah. Overmeyer, who developed and produced Bosch for Amazon, is being brought in. Um, so Frank Spotnitz is still involved in it, but he's not going to be the showrunner anymore. Yes, let's see. It says, presumably, Overmeyer's history with Amazon makes it think that picking him will be smoother. And it should be noted, season two of The Man in the High Castle didn't even have a permanent showrunner after Spotnitz left. All the other producers were tasked with picking up the job. So oh, they right. Went through a I guess the reports were that of... Spotnitz and Amazon didn't get along. So, mm, yeah. yeah, that happens sometimes. So, it sure does. but I mean, that really kind of goes to show like when you have good writing and good producers in the mix, like, you know what? It's just gonna it's it's gonna go along. It's gonna carry itself on yeah. its story. They must have and had a good team. Yeah, 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 which is really a good team, a good crew, a good writers' room. Like all that stuff makes a huge difference. You know, even when the leadership isn't necessarily. You know, sometimes all teams say, "If the boss would just get out of our way, we could make a better thing." Mm. And in this case, the boss got out of the way halfway through the season, and reports are that this is doing better than the first season when he was in charge the whole time so i don't oh, know that's good yeah that's exciting you know i might i'll, I'll I, um, I have a little bit of of time to pick up a new series so maybe i'll give it a give it another chance it feels yeah. especially especially uh, prescient these days and it's creating a new story now it is no longer oh, really? following the tracks of the book um there are a couple of things that 
you have yet to happen that happened in the book, but there are way more things happening that have no relation to anything that happened in the book. So that's another thing is they can flex their creative wings a little bit now that they've gotten out of the main plot line. That's good. There you go. That's yeah. very interesting. That's cool. Sporadic Reviews posted that uh, Galaxy's Edge magazine has a new blog called Signals from the Edge, managed by Leslie Robin. You can check it out. Oh. They say, we plan to develop it as a general site for sci-fi and fantasy news to have discussion on stories published by us with author participation. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Signalsfromtheedge.com. That's awesome. Oh, this kind of reminds me of SF Signal. A I know because of the signal part. Aww. Yeah, and it kind of like the same kind of like bloggy kind of layout. Yeah, mm. but Galaxy's Galaxy's Edge magazine is still going strong. So this is this is them kind of flexing their muscle a little bit too. That's awesome. I will check. Add this to my reading list. Add to the readings. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, who submitted stories to our Quick Burns thread. Uh, as Tom mentioned in the beginning of the show, bit of a slow week because it is the beginning of the year. I was having a little panic attack because I'm like, I haven't received a new book in a really <laughs> long time. Like, did they forget about us? Is it because we're not making unboxing videos? Did they catch on? No, no. They just, this always <laughs> happens. They, the When I used to do the calendar uh, on the site, I would always notice that like about December 10th, there'd be no more release dates. There'd usually okay. be a couple of stunt release dates on December 31st, you know, or authors who were just like, I don't even care. I'm just going to put the book out on Christmas day. Why not? <laughs> uh, but mostly, mostly they, they kind of taper off because they want to get the books in the stores for the holiday shopping season. And then after January is when they start to ramp it back up. Okay, that makes me feel better. Don't forget us. We love getting books because we like giving them to listeners. All right, well, now it is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Um, a couple of episodes ago, I mentioned that nobody had really written in to, to talk about what they were reading over the holiday. And you guys were like, yeah, we are. We're going to do that. And I'll get to the music thread. I forgot it, but I'll go. <laughs> you saw me highlight it. I see, I see you. I see you seeing that. Um, so first we had a, a, a note from MP who says, so to share some holiday reading, I abridged his email a little bit. I have completed The Girl with the Ghost Eyes by M.H. Borison, and I wanted to put it on your radar. It's an awesome urban fantasy set in 1800 San Francisco Chinatown. The setting felt really well-researched, and historical San Francisco Chinatown really comes alive in the same way historical New York comes alive in The Gollum and the Ginny. A Closed and Common Orbit by Becky Chambers is also great. Without mentioning spoilers, it very much has the same hopeful and humanist tone of the long way to a small angry planet. The setting of these books feels really unique. It obviously draws a degree of inspiration from Star Trek and Star Wars, but takes ideas from those universes and does its own distinct thing with them. And currently, I am working on Wake of Vultures by Lila Bowen. Thanks, MP. Those, gosh, I, I really got to read Becky Chambers. I've heard so many good things. And this one, the ghost, the girl, with the ghost eyes. I love historical San Francisco. I love future. Hist I love future historical San Francisco. <laughs> I love. I love current San Francisco. So uh, that that's always a soft spot for me. And then it turns out that people have been reading our minds. Uh, Robin wrote in and said, "So in sync with Sword and Laser lately. I was on page one hundred ten of Three Body Problem when I heard the podcast and that that would be the January pick. I'm planning to read the whole trilogy over my holiday break, off work until January." 
February 3rd. I had The Rook on my shelf for a while to read. And so when that was December's pick, I read that and liked it so much, I bought the sequel on Kindle and have started that too. Like Veronica, I'm hoping more Mythony shows up. Well, no spoilers, but you probably figured out things by now if it is now January 5th. So your vacation is over. I'm very curious, Robin, to know how your reading list went. You said you were going to finish all these things. Yeah, so follow us a up. Tweet. Yeah, follow up. I want to I want to hear if you loved Three Body Problem. We'll talk about it uh, when we do the wrap up episode. And then finally, Greg wrote in and said in episode 276, you exoriated us for not responding with our holiday reading list. That's a good word. Shamefacedly, I began writing this email and was stunned when Tom announced the book for January. I have just finished The Three-Body Problem and am currently reading book number two, The Dark Forest. I had some attention deficit issues during some sections of the first book that I ascribed to the cultural differences between my background and the author's. Nonetheless, I'm enjoying the story. The translator managed to make it understandable for Americans while still retaining some of the Chinese flavor. Yeah, I uh, I agree, and and we'll talk a little bit more in the in the book of the month discussion section in a minute. But it is something that is not going to feel sci fi right off the top. You definitely no. need to stick with it, but it will get there. Um, and then we had a thread uh, from Trike about music in sci-fi. Um, he says, there have been a lot of music-themed threads over the years, but not a general one. So here's a place for SFF music. Today, I'm going to add a couple pieces from Player Piano, uh, who do arrangements that are fun, cool, and amazing, sometimes all three. First is Princess Leia's theme in honor of Carrie Fisher. Then there is a general Star Wars melody. The production value on this blows me away. The themed pianos and costumes are amazing, as is the fact they must have shot each segment a half dozen times. Plus, her musicality is incredible. And it's a medley. And links to the YouTube videos for that. Yeah, so it's not just the medley, but it's also um, a whole video about things. Yeah, that's pretty cool. They're, they do. I, I've seen their stuff before. They're they're pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Tassie Dave. Still alive from Portal. Definitely belongs in video game history. Great music. I still have yeah. that in my playlist, as a matter of fact. And then Sean says John Williams is the man. It's like the best parts from a musical stage production of Star Wars. You know, I learned this is a link, uh, by the way, to another YouTube video. And I learned recently that and I don't know if I can I believe this really. So first of all, John Williams is the man is a as an acapella tribute medley ah, song. Okay. In case you were wondering. I had no idea. <laughs> I'm like, John yes, he Williams is the man. Allegedly has never seen Star Wars. I saw that pass through one of my feeds in a headline, and I didn't take the time to click through and find out if that was a clickbait headline or if it's a reality. Like, does John Williams but, say that? Is is he on record saying that or is that some I know sort of I don't urban want to perpetuate fake news here yeah so, um, we'll take this with a grain of salt but I do I, you know I've seen how they score films before and typically the orchestra is in a large uh, sound stage where they're actually playing oh the I'm video. sure he's had to have seen parts of it right yeah there's n there's no way that he's not seen parts of it but whether he's actually sat down and watched an entire movie maybe maybe not Maybe he's like me. He can't like stand to watch himself on camera. So he can't like stand to watch to hear, like, his, hear own music. his music in movies. And <laughs> yeah. so he like, you know, can't. He's like, oh, no, I can't. I'm sorry. It just uh, it annoys me too much. I think about all the things I would have done differently. Oh, I hear that one out of tune violin. Uh, I should have caught that. Mm. 
So this is a cool thread. So if you guys have other suggestions for yeah, musical I, themes from, from films and TV shows or playlists you like to listen to when you're reading or, you know, a lot of authors, Patrick Rothfuss being one, uh, compose pl- a musical playlist, song lists uh, of things they like to listen to when they write. Um, so that, that would be a cool addition as well. I had no idea that Michael Moorcock co-wrote Veteran of the Psychic Wars by Blue Oyster Cult. Wait, what? Joe Informatico put that down in what? his post. Yeah. That's bananas. That I guess it's not that weird, but it's bananas. Cool. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Yeah. That's how I'm going to sync up our audio tracks later. <laughs> the B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, you want to hop into some book of the month discussion? Yeah. So uh, if you are a uh, backer on the Patreon at the $5 an episode level, you should have your book briefing uh, came out this afternoon uh, telling you all about Xixin Lu or Lu Xixin. And we explain why you'll see it both ways. Uh, Short version being in China, you put the family name first and the first name last. And they don't call it a first name, I guess, because it's last. (laughs) And in the United States, we put the family name at the end. So when you're referring to him in the context of China, like you like and, and the example I use is Mao Zedong. His name in the US would be Zedong Mao, right? Which mm. is kind of weird to think about. It's so, like family name and then given name. Yeah. So in when, when he's referred to in, in the context of China, it will be written Lu Xixing. But when we when they publish him in the United States, they follow the uh, the Western format and put the family name last. Gotcha. Gotcha. So do you want to read the the um, the write-up that you did well, for the book? Well, no. I'm not going to read the write-up. You got to back the show to get the write-up. But, oh, uh, that's right. Okay, that's special for them. Okay. But, but the highlights are he is an engineer. Uh, he is he is someone who uh, has worked in a power plant as an engineer and started writing these books, and they're huge hits. Uh, th- this book in particular was started as a serialization, won a Galaxy Award in China, uh, and then, as you you probably remember, Ken Liu was uh, put on the case to translate it into English, and then it won the Hugo in 2015. So cool. Yeah, I mean, this this book is all anyone talked about for a really long time, so I'm, I'm excited that we, we picked it up. And... Um, they were right. Like I, I think that um, Greg was was absolutely on point with his comment from his email earlier, and that the beginning of the book is very, it's intense, man. Like the first couple chapters, or like the first main section of the book, it's it's not easy to to get through in in a lot of ways. Um, it really deals a lot with the cultural revolution and the fallout of that and, and what it was like for people, you know, working in education and, you know, academia and in spaces like that. And it was, it was, it was an intense read for sure. And I, I remember thinking to myself, Oh, like if this is how the whole book is going to be like, I, I, it's going to be tough, but I'm now getting into the section where, I mean, there's still some some intense themes for sure, but it does it. It's a genre fiction book, and and you're going to see some of that. Yeah, don't don't give up hope. Don't think this is just historical fiction. Why is this a sword and laser book? Because yeah. it does happen. It takes a little time, and I personally found that historical fiction part fascinating mm-hmm. because you have to you have to keep in mind there 
is criticism of the Cultural Revolution in China. I, I think we often have the mistaken impression in the United States that everything in China is not allowed, right? Like it's all mm-hmm. not allowed. And while there certainly is government censorship there, the Chinese government views that as essential things that we need to do for the betterment of the country. But otherwise, we allow people to talk freely. And and it's hard to wrap your head around that. And this is a good example of that. He gets to write this novel. Yeah, I was crit- just going to say. Criticizing the Cultural Revolution and showing the abuses of it in the past. And he's and, and it it's and it won awards in China. Yeah, exactly. So it, it sheds some light. And I'm. And don't get me wrong if you're someone who's like, yeah, but that doesn't excuse human rights abuses. I'm not trying to say that at all. What I'm saying is it does open your eyes into how this actually works on the ground uh, and gives you a Chinese perspective on the Cultural Revolution, which is a a very interesting one, Uh, one that isn't meant to be a, a dissent. So you you kind of see like this is maybe not the most forgiving necessarily, but it isn't the harshest critique. And yet it shows just how harsh that time period was. And that's all just leading up to the genre fiction part of it, which is amazing and full of physics. And definitely all of this is informed by his experience as an engineer and Mm. his experience being sent away. He was sent to his family's ancestral city after he was born because of the cultural revolution. They, They were worried about what was happening and they didn't want him to get caught up in it. Wow. I did not know that. That's amazing. Yeah, I think the a lot of the conversation going on, especially in the in this first quarter of the book that I, I think I'm still in, I think I'm about 20% of the way through, mm. um, is really deeply into theoretical physics and and some of the conversations around that. And I got to be real smart today when I, I think you'll probably remember in the story, um, the, the Wang is talking about some examples of theoretical physics and uh, the shooter and the um, the the marksman, no, the shooter and the farmer. Okay. Did you have you gotten to those? No, yet? I haven't got to that. Okay, then I won't ruin it. But they're they're very interesting examples of theoretical physics that kind of blew my mind, and I got to repeat them in 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 company, uh-huh. and I sounded like a real smart smart person. Let yeah. me just say, I sounded brilliant. Well, and the best science fiction (laughs) does that, right? It makes you like the, this is hard science fiction. This is, Mm -hmm. this is hard SF and the best hard sci-fi teaches you that and makes you smarter and makes you understand things better. And that's why this book has won so many awards, I'm going to guess. Honestly, like I think the, the fascinating thing to me throughout the years is how doing this show and doing reading so much sci-fi in particular has really made me better at technology mm. and made me better at talking about technology and the future of technology in a lot of really meaningful ways. Um, it's, it's opened my mind to different ways of looking at the world and looking at our future. Um, and that's, that's a real thing. I mean, especially with hard sci-fi and even not with hard, hard hard sci-fi, like there's, there's a lot that, that fits into regular, you know, science fiction, even pulpy kind of stuff that can be fun to, to theorize on. Uh, so yeah, I, I think this is, this is a good read. I mean, obviously it's, it's hugely popular and becoming very influential already in its its young age. Um, but I, I, I'm excited about this one. Yeah, I am too. I'm really enjoying it. And I hope you guys are enjoying it too. Although what you, what you just say, it started to make me think like, so what does fantasy do for us? 
fantasy is like my heart. Fantasy, fantasy is helps like, me talk to people in tropes. And I don't mean that to sound dismissive, but like there, there are times when I'm like, oh, it's, it's like this. And then people are like, oh yeah, I totally get what you're talking about because we have a shared vocabulary of fantasy now that I've read more of it. This is a good question for the audience. Yeah. This is good. So we, yeah. I am not, I, I used to have a real problem when people asked a question to make a statement, like, Mm -hmm. you know. Why do people drive so fast? I'm like, you're, you don't actually want to know why people drive so fast. You're complaining that people drive too fast. Just say people drive too fast. I used to, I, I've gotten lessened up on that. But when I say, what is fantasy's effect? I'm not doing that. I'm not saying fantasy has no effect or, mm-hmm. or value. I'm, I'm curious. Like, I think it does have one. But with sci-fi, it's obvious. It's more obvious. It's out there like, oh, you're you're able to see things that you didn't know that are true worked into a fictional area. And you can't do the same thing in fantasy because the world isn't true, but maybe it's more of a soft science thing, like sociological phenomena yeah. or interpersonal relationships or, or something like that. I think you you totally hit the nail on the head. I think it's I think it's a lot of, of that. But I'm curious to know what the audience yeah, thinks too. Yeah, like me too. How has, what does fantasy, how does it help you grow as a person has it what's what lessons do you take from fantasy and how do you apply them to your day-to-day life i mean other than just doing a really awesome dwarf impression yeah which is valuable we're not diminishing that i mean for sake (laughs) you have to edit that now Mm, maybe it was a dwarf said it not veronica it was i that was just a recording i played yeah dwarf ran in the room said that earlier she played it back Sorry, kids. Do parents let their children listen to this show? I don't even know. Let us I've know never that really, too. Like, I've never really polled the audience on our... I don't really know what our demographics are these days. I always think about people listening to shows in their car and who might uh, who uh, other people who might happen to be in the car while they're listening. All right. I'll blurp it out. Blurp. I'll blurp it out. <laughs> Do blurp. Just say blurp <laughs> and put blurp. that over it. Blurp. Okay. I'll take that. I'll take that sound bite. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps things up. Uh, thank you guys again for, you know, kicking off another amazing year of Sword and Laser. I mean, this is really the fact that this is we're coming into year 10 now yeah. is like mind blowing to me. That is like, insane. have you really have you thought about that? Like yeah. our first podcast was in 2007. Wow. That hurts Maybe my 2008. Brain a little bit. 2007 uh, is when we launched the uh, the Ning. The book club. I'm going to say it was 2007 Yeah, that we started Sword and Laser. And so I'm just going to carry that over into yeah. counting the no, podcast I think that's fair. as well. I think that's fair. Um, but that's, that's, we're, we're, that's old. That's mm-hmm. a, that's an we're old a heritage, podcast. heritage podcast. Yeah. Artisanal heritage. Small batch. Small batch. Yeah. Organic. Very small batches. Um, but we do. Speaking of batches, um, we have we have some great interviews coming up in the future. Uh, Brian McClellan's going to be back on the show in March when his new book comes out. Fantastic. Um, we've got we've got some good stuff. Uh, Mike Cole is going to be on in the very near future talking about an amazing project he's working on that I am so excited about. Be nice um, to Mike. I know you don't like him. Oh, God, I hate him. He's the worst. I love Mike so much. He's so cool. Um, Mike's the best. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a really fun year, I think. And oh, 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 oh. And we haven't talked about this yet. Uh, if you're interested, we're going to be the podcast guests of honor. Oh, right. We need to Baycon. start telling people that. 
Yeah, over Memorial Day here in San, here in the Bay Area, um, in the at the actually it's going to be like right in Brisbane, like right by the the airport hotel Marriott <laughs> situation. Uh, so it's an easy trip for me. Tom's going to be coming up. It's actually uh, a pretty S. easy S. trip for me too. I just not a plane. That's true. <laughs> yeah, James S. A. Corey is going to be the guest of honor. Guests oh, that's of so honor. Exciting. Um, so we're going to be interviewing them. So yeah, a lot to look forward to this year, and I'm I'm excited to have you guys along for the ride. Absolutely. Uh, so our show, it's con- currently entirely funded by you, the patrons, and we cannot thank you enough. Uh, all the folks who back the show, if you would like to support the show, head to patreon.com slash sword and laser. Big welcome to brand new patrons, Karen Turner, Paul Pewter DeCastro, and more, or Paul, and then Peter also. DeCastro, and more. And huge thanks to Andrew, who raised his pledge. You know, you can you can do that. You can raise your pledge and maybe get into Len's library or get the monthly silliness. Keep all of that in mind and check out patreon.com slash sword and laser. Guys, I signed up for, this is not an ad, I signed up for a stamps.com account so we can easily send out books for Lem's library. We've got books. We've got books. We've got books. I've got a big batch of big envelopes that I bought from Amazon. I've got a stamps.com account. I am ready to send some books out. So let's do this, $20 and up people. (laughs) I am ready for you. I am stoked. Fantastic. Yes, and you can also support the show, of course, by buying books through our links. You can find links to the books we talk about and some of our personal favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Of course, you can get in touch with us. Feedback at swordandlaser.com is our email address. Swordandlaser.com is the website. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. That is the best vanity phone number of all time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Recording and three, two, one. <laughs> it was like perfectly in sync in my ear, but like I clapped like four seconds later. It was video. a little bit off in my ear, and you didn't clap until I leaned back in the video. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why the video is so late. Oh, it's creeping me out. All right, maybe I'll just minimize. You can see your eyes move when that video. happens. It's so weird. What? When I laugh? No, when your video's lagging, if you look at yourself and like look to the side, you can then see yourself, your eyes move, which you can never actually see when you're actually. Oh, weird, yeah. Tom. That's a weird thing I never would have thought about. Oh, it's so, it's so creepy. Now I'm going to go look at it. Now, how do I make myself bigger? I just made myself <laughs> tiny. How do I make myself bigger? I have to like pop it out. Oh, I can't do it. You can just make the Skype window. Oh, I just saw it. It was so weird. Yes. Because you never can see that in like a mirror or a live video. Oh, that's so creepy. Okay. And three, two.